0: Welcome to the Movement Church podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Like every week I get set up like that, right? Like how am I, how am I supposed to follow something as ridiculous as a fake movement group press conference? I don't. Whatever. Uh, I'm just really thankful that I'm teaching this week and that my, because sometimes Mark will say, we have this really great idea and this is what we want you to do. And I'm like, I just, I'll be honest with you, I didn't even watch the, that LeBron press conference that everyone's freaking out about, right? That that was supposed to be mimicking. If you, Maybe if you're like me, you had no idea that that's what was going on. Um, so I, don't, I can't be funny like that. I'm glad that Mark and Justin took care of it. Um, but movement groups really are starting. That really is a real thing. That's not a joke. And um, I'm excited that that's happening this week. And in fact, part of what we're going to talk about today, a large part of what we're going to talk about today is why should these groups matter? Um so my name's Sarah like Mark said um I've had the the opportunity to be part of movement um for the last several years and I have the chance to direct our movement groups which sounds way fancier than it is but movement groups are something that I believe are really important and really valuable and um today we're going to take a look at why why should it matter Uh, Not just because every good church has small groups, um, but because we really believe, based on what we see in Scripture, that uh, they're an important thing to have. So, as I was thinking about this over the week, um, I was thinking about some of the things that I have experienced, um, some of the things that I've gone through individually. And so, I've lived in Columbus now for almost five years. Um, and I think that it's a, you know, a great place to live. I love watching the Buckeyes. I, you know, I don't cry when they lose like some of you do, but I love watching the Buckeyes. Um, but before I moved to Columbus, um, I had a job working in Indiana. I worked for a nonprofit organization that runs um, some programs for high school kids. So uh, there's some summer programs that they run, and we have kids from all over the country that are involved in these programs, some of them just for a week, some of them for the whole summer. And so my job was not only to be involved in these summer programs, but I did follow-up with these kids all throughout the course of the year. So I worked with my best friend, Stacy, and um, we kind of developed this job and then tricked this organization into hiring us. Um, And we thought that we were so, like, sneaky and doing that, like, oh, we came up with this dream job and now these people are going to hire us. So the, the gist of the whole thing was we traveled three weeks out of every month to visit churches and high school kids and their youth pastors and their senior pastors all over the country. Now that sounds like, oh my gosh, that's so awesome. You're like a traveling rock star, right? Like you're like going to these new, a new city every day and you're like staying with people and getting to do all these cool things. It started to feel like we were homeless people pretty quickly. So um, we would go f- like to a new city every couple of days, and we would stay with host families, people that we could convince to feel bad enough for us that we didn't have enough money to get a hotel, and they would let us stay with them, and they would feed us and take care of us. Um, but we were gone so much, we were on the road so much, that when we would come home, basically we would come home just for a week, and we would have enough time to like do our laundry and eat at this Mexican restaurant that we really liked, and like say hi to our boss, and then get back in the car and start it all over again. So there was several months where we actually were on the road for 30 days in a row, which is... Terrible. Like, why no one said to me, like, hey, Sarah, this is going to be a really stupid idea. I have no idea. Um, like, we thought we were tricking them. I think they were actually tricking us. So, like, we traveled from Indiana all the way down to Florida and then stopped at churches all the way up to Connecticut and then stopped and did a retreat in Pennsylvania, so, which we had forgotten our sleeping bags for because we're idiots. And so, and then we went back to Indiana. So, in the course of 30 days, we slept, we counted, like, in 30 days, we slept in, like, 26 different beds. Miserable. Okay. So if your life is like that, I'm so sorry. Um, But it was, it seemed like it was going to be some grand adventure and it was fun to get to hang out with my best friend every day. But pretty quickly we realized we weren't created to, to constantly be on the move like that. Like when we came home and we would visit our home church, they would, people would be like, Oh, are you new? And we're like, no. No, we've gone to church here for like five years, but you don't know because we're never around. There was all of a sudden we had lost this sense of community. We had lost this group of people that knew who we were and knew what was going on in our lives. Nobody actually knew us anymore. We were strangers everywhere that we went. We were even strangers when we came home. And the ironic part about that is that what we were doing as we traveled is we were saying to these high school kids and to their youth pastors and to their parents and to their senior pastors, We were talking to them about how important it is to be connected to a body of believers, how important it is for people to spend time in community with each other because we weren't made to do faith on our own. And we were like the biggest hypocrites in the room. So that for me was when I first started to really understand for myself personally, why does the church matter so much? And some of you know me, you know my story, you know that like I'm womb to tomb church person. Okay. Like I was born on a Friday and that Sunday, two days later, my mom had me in church in some cute little dress, which I actually think the doctor tells her you're not supposed to do that anymore. Like take babies to church that soon, but she didn't care. So like I've been in church since I was two days old. It has always been a part of my life. It's always been a part of what I've done. And if you have maybe walked a journey like that, maybe you have hit a spot, maybe you're in that spot right now, where you look at the church and you go, I don't understand why this should be so valuable to me. Like, it just feels like one more thing that I have to do. Particularly if you're watching a game that goes until like midnight on a Saturday night, why should I have to get up and go to church on a Sunday morning? It just feels like a hassle, like one more thing, like, like, I've got plenty of other friends and other places, and I've got a plenty of other things to do. Can't I just sleep in on Sunday? Why should I be connected to a church at all? And, and I have walked through that. I have felt those things. I've experienced some of those thoughts, because when it's so easily accessible, it's easy to go, nah, I don't think I need that. And it wasn't until I worked that job for two years where I felt like a stranger in every church that I walked into, and I realized there's not really anybody that knows me anymore. There's not really anyone who knows my heart, who knows what I struggle with, who knows the good, the bad, and the ugly about who I am, that all of a sudden I realize, man, I want that so badly. And so when I had the chance to move to Columbus and get connected to a church-like movement, how how could I miss it? How could I pass that up to get to be connected all of a sudden to a group of people that feels like family? Now, I don't... I don't tell you, it's like a cautionary tale, right? Like, don't become like me. Um, I don't just want to tell you my story, but I want us to see in Scripture, why should this matter to us so much? Some of you, I think, are probably convinced, yeah, the church is important and small groups are important. And some of you, maybe it just feels like one more thing. Why do we say that caring for people and that groups, why should that be something that you own? Why should that be something that you care about? Why should it be more than just, it's my job to care about it because I'm the director of these groups. Why should it matter to you? There's three things that we're going to kind of talk through, and then um, I was inspired by Mark's rhymy big idea last week, and I have a rhyming big idea for you at the end today, so get excited. Um, but I, first I want us to work our way through this passage of scripture so that you can see this isn't just something cute that we've made up, but I believe based on God's word that the church should matter to us and that community should really matter to us. So you can go ahead and turn to John 15, if you have one of the um, Bibles under your chair, it's page 824, 824, and as you're turning there, let me just share this first kind of idea that I think is so foundational to what we're talking about here. The reason that community is so inherently necessary to us is because you're created in God's image. Because you're created in God's image, you are created, you're made for community. Now this idea we see kind of all throughout scripture, but what we know about who our God is, and it would take way longer than 30 minutes for us to pull this all together, so let me summarize it for you. What we know about who our God is, is that our God is Triune. He's, we refer to our God as being the Trinity, that there's three parts to him, that he is Father, he is Son, and he is Holy Spirit. That he's not three separate gods, he's one God that has three persons in him. Confusing? Yeah, I know. Try explaining it to a bunch of 16 year olds. They just look at me like, I don't miss never, you know, like we learn in math class, three and one are not the same. And I say, yeah, I know, it makes no sense. Um, but this is how God reveals himself to us that he is one god that exists somehow in three separate persons. Now the point of this morning is not to talk about the trinity except to say our god has always existed in relationship. Before god created people, he wasn't alone. He lived in relationship with himself. I don't mean to make our God sound like he's like schizophrenic somehow. And again, I know that the idea of the Trinity is a complicated idea. But this, this concept, this point of theology that says Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always been in perfect relationship with each other. They have always known each other. They have always loved each other. They have always taken care of each other. And so when God created people, and Scripture tells us that he created us in his image, He was creating us to have that same desire for community, that same desire for relationship. Now, you're created, I'm created simply as an individual. You're not one being with three persons inside of you, hopefully. You're one person. And so you are created to desire to connect to other people. Because you're made in God's image, you desire the sense of community. It, it doesn't make you needy. That's, that's, some of us feel like, oh, I wish I had a friend. Does that make me pathetic? No, it makes you human. You're created in God's image, and that's why you desire community. Now, I, I don't know what your experience has been with community, but there are a couple of things that I think we learn in John 15. John 15, um, Jesus is talking to his disciples. Um, We're getting close to the end of his life, and so he's sharing all of this um, really important truth with them. And we're going to start kind of in the middle of John 15, and then we're going to back up. But what I want you to see in John 15, starting in verses 12 and 13, is that community is not always easy. That's probably not shocking to any of you. Let's look at John 15, 12 and 13. Jesus says, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Okay, now you know, most of you, I think you know the rest of the story. You know that shortly after this, Jesus is going to die. He's going to lay his life down for his friends. But the disciples, they like haven't been paying very good attention. So they don't know that that's what's coming quite yet. So think about what it was like to be one of Jesus' followers and to listen to Jesus say this. Jesus says, this is what it means to love each other. There's no greater love than to lay down your life for each other. The disciples are like, I don't, uh, I mean, I like you guys. I'm not like looking to die for any of you, Right? I, I thought I understood what it meant to love people, but you're telling me that to really love you means that I need to be willing to die for you. Now, that sounds really cute, and we are willing to say things like that, like, oh yeah, man, totally, I would like, go to the grave for you. I don't know if any of you talk like that. I'm, it's, I don't ever talk that way, so I don't know where that came from. We 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 have these, like, it's such a romantic idea, you know, that, like, I would throw myself in front of a bullet for you or I would dive in front of a car for you or whatever. But when it really comes down to it, like, if you're really being honest, there's probably not too many people in your life that you would say, yeah, I would step into death for your sake. There's not too many of us that feel that way about too many people. If you're a parent, I'm sure that you feel that way about your children, you maybe also feel that way about your parents, but maybe not, because maybe you think, like, they've gotten to live their lives, so they should die first. Like, I don't know, I don't know. But there's, there's probably a handful of people in your life that are really important to you that you say, yes, I would lay down my life for you. But that's not what Jesus says here, okay? Jesus doesn't say real love is if you're willing to do that just for this teeny group of people. Jesus says real life is when you're willing to do that for your friends, now I have, you know, some friends. They matter to me, they're important to me. I don't know if I'm willing to die for them. I don't know if I would be willing to lay down my life for them. Real community and real love and real relationship with people is not always easy. And, and you know, like maybe talking about death is like, too, we're, we've gone too extreme, right? So let's pull it back a little bit. Sometimes what it means to be in community is to be willing to say and do the hard things in each other's lives. Like to be able to speak truth to people even when they don't want to hear it. And we've probably all been in those situations where you knew I should probably say this to my friend. I should probably tell them that I see that they're like headed down a dangerous path or that they're making a bad decision or that holy cow, they should stop dating this person. But I'm just... It's too awkward. I just, I really don't want to. Or maybe you've been on the other side where someone has to say those hard things to you. When I started thinking about this, I thought about um, when I was in high school, a friend of mine, um, I had been totally like lying to her face about this situation. What a crappy thing to do, right? Like I was telling her that one thing was going on when it was actually exactly the opposite. And somehow she found out probably because we were in high school and everybody gossips all the time, right? Which is another sermon for another day. So she found out that I had been lying to her, but I didn't know that she knew. So she was like, hey, let's get together for coffee this weekend. And I was like, yeah, okay. Um, so we meet at this, I, like I can, I, it's, so, it's like crystal clear in my mind. I remember walking up to this Starbucks in my hometown and seeing her sitting there and I get my cup of coffee, and I sit down next to her, and she, like, wastes no time. And she says, I know that you've been lying to my face. And I was like, Ah, oh, I think I got to go. You know, like, <laughs> I don't, I wish I wasn't here right now. And it was a very awkward conversation. And, you know, maybe part of it came from the fact, like, part of the reason that she wanted to have this conversation is because she just, she needed to know why I was saying that. But... When I think about if the roles were reversed, if I had found out that Amanda was lying to me, would I have been up front with her about it? Or would I have just, like, talked to the rest of my friends about it? Like, can you believe, Amanda, what a jerk she was to me? Can you believe she was lying to my face? I would have probably just dealt with it in a pretty passive-aggressive way and distanced myself from her and eventually let the friendship die. But Amanda did what was godly, Amanda sat me down and said, I know you haven't been telling the truth. Why? This makes me think of a verse in Proverbs, and you don't have to turn there, but it's Proverbs 27, five. Nope, Proverbs 27.6. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Even though that conversation with Amanda was like super awkward, and our friendship wasn't great, for the next amount of time. I mean to be honest. She didn't trust me. Fair enough. I was lying to her. But Amanda is someone now more than 10 years later. That's still, still one of my friends. When I go home to see my parents. She's still somebody that I call. Amanda did what was right. And did what was godly. And said the hard things to me. And as a result of that. I learned some really important things about myself. Some really important things about friendship some really important things about how to care about people. Community is not always easy. Sometimes when you get close to people, it's not fun. Like everyone looks like really, well, maybe not everyone, but lots of people look really nice from far away, right? They They seem exciting and rosy and everything's great. And then all of a sudden you start spending like every day together and you're like, oh my gosh, you're so annoying. How did that happen, right? This happened with my college roommate my freshman year. We like knew each other kind of marginally and I thought, she's so great, this is so wonderful. And then we started living together and I was like, oh my gosh, she wakes up at six o'clock every morning and wants to talk about the weather. What is happening? Like, please, I need a new roommate. People seem wonderful from a distance and then we get close and all of a sudden their imperfections start to show. And for some of us, maybe for many of us, our gut says, well, then I just need to back up. I need to protect myself. I need to get away from these obnoxious people. I need need to give myself some distance. But what Jesus says is, no, push in. Because real love, real friendship, means that you push into those dark places and you push into those ugly places and that you're willing to say, I will lay down my life for you. I will do what is hard. I will say what is hard. Because even though we don't always see eye to eye and even though we don't always get along and sometimes when you wake up at six o'clock in the morning and want to talk about the weather, I want to punch you in the nose. I understand that I was created to be in relationship with you because I learned some things about God in you that I, that I can't see in myself. One of the things that was true about my freshman roommate Erin is that she saw beauty and wonder in everything. When she would wake up at six o'clock in the morning and want to talk about the weather, she then would start reading to me out of our biology textbook. I mean, for real, like really? Yes, she did. She's a doctor now, so you know she won. Um, But she would start reading to me out of our biology textbook and. And the reason that she was doing that is because she was saying, can you believe that God made the world like this? Now, at six o'clock in the morning, yeah, I don't care, right? But she had this sense of wonder and awe about her that I simply don't have. I learned things about who God was by being in relationship with her that I never would have learned if we weren't forced to be in the same space together. Community is not always easy. But here's the other thing that we learn about John 15. Community isn't hard. Now, you're like, I think maybe you got confused, right? Like, it isn't easy, but it's not hard. What are you, you're playing a game with us. I don't believe that community has to be hard if we start in the right place. So I want us to back up in John 15 and start at verse 4. So you're still on the same page. If you lost it, it's 824. John 15, starting in verse four, Jesus says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you may be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Real community has to start with the way that we are connected to Jesus. Now, maybe that sounds like some Sunday school answer, right? Like nothing good can happen unless we start with Jesus, but... Maybe the reason that it's a Sunday school answer is because it's true. Real community can't happen unless we are connected and rooted in Jesus and in who he is. Because what we see from these verses is Jesus says, I have given you the love that the Father gave me. Now, if you remember what we said at the beginning, the reason that you desire community is because you're created in God's image. You are created in the image of a God who has lived in community for all of eternity. The Father has always perfectly loved the Son. And now, what Jesus tells us is that love that the Father has always given me, now I am loving you with that same love. If we really believed that, if you believed it, and if I believed it, it would change the way that we loved people. It has to. I mean, that's what Jesus is saying here, right? He's saying, if you stay connected to me, if you stay in my love, then you're going to produce fruit. And what is that fruit? Well, the next two verses are the ones that we read first, that you'll love each other so much that you'll be willing to lay down your lives for each other. Jesus isn't making some crazy demand of you. He's not saying do something of your own accord. Somehow conjure up enough love and affection for each other that you're willing to love each other in this crazy sort of way. No, he's saying start by abiding in me. Spend time with me. Know me. Know my love. Get close to me in this way that you can experience the love that the Father has been giving me. And once you do that... What choice do you have but to love each other like this? For most of us, myself included, my problem is that I forget, I forget to see things through God's eyes. I start to make myself the most important person in the room. And so I think like, what? Well, like I can't love that person. Do you know how annoying that person is? Holy cow. I can't do it. And I forget to see myself through God's eyes. So I had a friend, well, it's a while ago now, who was really good at this. Um, We spent a summer together leading a high school ministry team. And there was one day when we were right at the end of the summer. And our students, our high school students, were spending the night in um, host homes. So we were sending them to, like, stay with people from the church And now, at this point, we've been together for like six weeks, okay, so they know the drill. They know what they're supposed to do. Any stuff that they're not taking with them to their host homes, they have to put back on our luggage truck. So they put it back on the truck, and we pull it shut, because there's 30 of these high school kids, and I don't want to pick up all their junk. Parents, I'm sure you can relate to this. So the truck is like around the corner, and the kids have all, they're like getting in cars with their host families, and they're driving away, and they're driving away, and They're waving to us as they're leaving. And they're saying like, bye, we love you. Bye, we love you. And I'm like, these kids are so nice. Like, I just think they're so wonderful, right? And then I walk around the corner and there's just crap everywhere, just like laying all over the ground, sleeping bags and suitcases and pillows and trash, right? And I'm like, these kids are animals. Like all of, I, I go from like feeling like this great affection for them to like wanting to punch them all, you know? You guys probably think I'm violent. You're not going to be friends with me. So so I go storming inside. I'm not even even touching their stuff, right? I'm like, no, it's their own fault. If it rains, I hope all their stuff gets moldy, you know? So I go inside and I find my friend Tony and I say like, did you see what the kids did out there? Like they just, they left all of their junk everywhere, you know? And they're like, they're saying like, we love you. And I'm like, you don't love me. Just do what I asked you to do. And Tony doesn't even miss a beat, right? And he says, Sarah, that's what I do to God all the time. You know, like, I, I tell God that I love him. But I'm not willing to be obedient to what he's asked me to do. And he just looked at me and he was like, I, I can't even be mad at the kids. I mean, like, seriously, that's what I do to God all the time. I was like, now I'm mad at you too, right? Like, I was mad at the kids and now you make me feel like a jerk for being mad at them. But it was something that he was so good at that summer was, was consistently helping me to take a step back and go, okay, how can I see God in this? And when I would take a step back and recognize, man, I, I'm, I am so broken in the way that I love God. I say that I love him, but I won't even do what he asked me to do so often. And yet in the midst of that, God loves me. He gives me this perfect love with no strings attached. He just gives it to me. And when I can think that way, well, yeah, then I start to look at people the same way that Tony was looking at people. Yeah, if God can love me in the midst of all of that brokenness, in the midst of all of my sin, why would I not want to love my kids as screwed up and disastrous as they may be? When we abide in him, it changes the way that we love each other. So it's why we started this whole series by talking about owning your faith and owning Sundays. Not just because, oh, that seemed like a good place to start, but because until you own your faith, none of the rest of this stuff matters. Until you take possession of your faith on your own, we can't do the rest of these things. Now, you can maybe like try, we, you can put a semblance of things together, but it, it's, it's not going to work the way that it's supposed to work because the reason that we're called to love each other is because he loved us first. If that sounds really good, it's because it's from the Bible. I didn't make that one up. So let's read that one too. That's First John chapter 4. It's page 943. three. First John chapter 4. <clears throat> Starting in verse 19, Uh, this is the same author. So the guy who wrote the book of John was one of Jesus' disciples. He also wrote 1 John um, a little later. He wrote it as a letter to some people. And he says in 1 John 4 verse 19, we love each other because he, that is Jesus, loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. We can't have one without the other. We can't say, I love God and I'm taking ownership of my faith and not love each other. We can't. We can't say that we love someone that we cannot see and then not love the people that are in front of us. Now, it's not always easy, but it doesn't have to be hard. And so, our big idea for this morning like I said, I I made it rhyme because Mark inspired me last week. We need to abide so we can provide, we need to abide. We need to abide in who Jesus is and abide in his love so that we can provide that sort of love, that sort of family, that sort of affection for other people. You are not pursuing Jesus just so that you can be awesome. You are not doing this new through 30 and and reading your way through the New Testament this month and and spending time coming here on Sundays and gathering together as a body. You're not just doing that for your own sake. You're doing that because we need you. Because I need you. I need to be in a community of people who know Jesus and love Jesus and are following Jesus. Jesus. Because I wasn't created to do this on my own. I can't do it. I have tried and I can't do it. I need you to abide in Jesus so that you can help to provide for me, particularly on the days when I feel like I'm losing it altogether. And some of you have been walking with Jesus long enough to know what I'm talking about that there are some seasons in your life that are great and there are other seasons in your life that are very dark. And in the midst of that darkness, that is why we have each other, so that on those days when I wake up and I say, I don't even know if I can believe that these things are true, I am surrounded by people like you who say, I know that it's hard for you to see the light right now, Sarah, but trust me, it is still there. God has not moved and he has not left you, and let me tell you about the things that God is doing in my life so that I can encourage you and I can hold you up even in this really dark and difficult season. We need to abide in him so that we can provide for each other. So practically, what does this mean? What do we do? Well, we've been talking about some of these things for the last couple of weeks. If you're not doing New Through 30, I encourage you to do that. You can sign up for it on the, the YouVersion app, the Bible app, the most popular Bible app like in the world or something. Um, you sign up on there and you'll get these reminders every day. We're working our way through the New Testament together as a church And if you've missed a few days, it's okay. Jump back on. Keep going. Spend time reading about who Jesus is and how he impacted and changed the world. Spend time getting to know him. Spend time like turning your radio off in your car and just talking to him. Meditating. Getting to know him better. Abide in who he is. But then the next step and really what we're focused on today is, so then what does it look like to provide for each other? What does it look like to care for each other? Well, the obvious one, the part of the reason that I get to speak today is to let you know that we have these movement groups and we want you to join one. There are 10 movement groups that meet all around the city. You saw the map. They meet all over the place. They meet on different nights of the week, Sundays, Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays. Several of these groups have child care that's provided for free. So if that's a concern for you, don't have to worry about it. There are groups of people who, like Mark said, are older and have 10 children um, in their family, which is a lie. I don't think that there's anyone here who has 10 kids in their family, but if so, we're glad you're here. Um, There are groups that are people who have been married for a while, and there are groups of people who haven't been married for very long, and there are groups of people who are not married at all. There are groups that are a blend of all of those things. We want you to get connected to a group, not just because it's what good churches do, but because these are the spaces where we really get to know each other as a family. You all look wonderful here on a Sunday morning, but the reality is it's embarrassing how, how many of your names I still don't know because there's lots of us. And even once I know all of your names, I don't know about all of you. We can't be intimate family to everyone in this room. There's too many of us. Movement groups give you the opportunity to get to know each other at a deeper level and to take care of each other. So that's one really practical thing that I encourage you to do. If you're not in a group, stop by the table on your way out. The Next Steps table has all the information that you could need. But some of it is just really practical too, right? Like, like what is it that you wish that you had when it comes to community? You wish that you had a friend? You wish that you had, like, a mom's play date? People could get together and hang out with each other? You wish that, like, everyone could go out and have dinner together or whatever it is, you wish that someone would mentor you, you wish someone would invest in you, just ask somebody. Like, I'll speak from my own experience. Sometimes when I feel lonely, I like to play the victim and I say, like, well, you know, I just wish that someone would call me and want to be my friend. Or I could, like, the phone goes both ways, as my grandma reminds me on a pretty regular basis. I could call someone else and say... Hey, do you want to hang out? Hey, do you want to go get a cup of coffee? Hey, do you want to go eat some sushi? Hey, do you want to? What is it that you look at your life and you go, man, I wish that I had that? Let's start to become people who pursue the things that we want, that we desire. You were created for community. And sometimes the reason that we don't have it is because people don't know that we're so desperate for it. You're looking for a friend, ask somebody to hang out with you. You're looking for someone to like, get your kids together and play, just ask. There's a bunch of kids around here. You're looking for someone to mentor you, ask somebody to mentor you. Look around the room and go, who is it in this room that I wish I could be more like? Can I hang out with them? It doesn't have to be rocket science. It doesn't have to be difficult. We, were, we need to abide in Jesus so that we can provide for each other. But providing for each other isn't just going to magically happen. We have to take steps to do those things. Community is necessary and it's important. And I look at a lot of you and I know that you're connected to each other and I know that so many of our movement groups have been healthy and have taken good care of each other but the reality is there are new faces in this room and we don't ever want you to feel like you're second string or second class because you got to the game late. You are part of our family. And so we wanna be a place that takes care of each other. No matter whether you've been at movement for a week or for three years, we're a family that cares for each other. It starts with abiding so that we can provide. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you love your son, and that you love the Holy Spirit, and that you have constantly been in relationship with each other, that you have constantly cared for each other, that you have been in community as a Godhead together for all of eternity. And thank you that when you created us in your image, you created us also to be in community with each other. Because, God, being in community is such a it is such a fun thing to get to know people and to get to spend time together. God, I confess that sometimes I avoid community because it just seems too difficult. And it's easier to just be by myself and not be bothered. But, God, it's so clear to me that my faith is not nearly as strong or as beautiful or as deep as it should be when I avoid other people because I can't see all of you clearly on my own. God, thanks that I'm in a place now where I'm surrounded by people who want to know you and who want to help me know you. God, I ask that you would continue to make Movement Church a place that is committed to that, that is committed to community, not just because it's a great buzzword, but because it's what you have called us to do. Help us to know you and to know your love so deeply and so intimately that there is no choice but for it to spill over into the way that we love each other. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would move in our hearts individually today. That whatever area it is that we need to be challenged in, whether it's joining a movement group or calling someone up and asking, can we just spend some time together? Or inviting someone to mentor us. God, whatever that thing is that we look at and say, oh man, I wish that I had that and I just don't. Will you make us brave enough and bold enough to take the first step? To stop playing the victim, which I so often like to do, (laughs) and to take the first step and to just ask. And God, I pray that you would bless those asks. I pray that you would make us a church that loves each other, that loves each other to the point of being willing to lay our lives down for each other. Thank you for the good things that you're doing here. God, thanks for the way that you are so gracious to us, that you're making us men and women who know you more and more. In Jesus' name.